It's Jeff Levering for Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Check out that effortless horizontal window slide and the best lifetime warranties in the industry. Order by April 30th and get 0% for 48 months at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Jeff Wagner Show. And as we've been telling you for the last week or so, you now, if you don't choose to listen, if you don't want to just listen, well, you can also watch The Jeff Wagner Show and all of your favorite WTMJ shows. We are now streaming live on video from our studios at the Avenue. You can watch online. That's probably the easiest way. If you go to WTMJ.com, they have that Listen Live button where you can hit that, or you can have the Watch Live button, and then that activates all the cameras. You can see what's going on here. You can do that through the mobile app, through the WTMJ YouTube page. Yes, we have a YouTube page, and people download the shows and on our social channels. Look while you listen with the WTMJ video stream. It is a very, very cool sort of feature. All right, let's get started. We've got some great stories today, including a breaking news story. If you wonder why so many parents are so upset at what is going on in the schools, it's because the schools bring this on themselves. I told you yesterday about the story involving a, a school that uh, that a, a middle school child had wanted to change their gender identity from you know male to female. The parents said, "No, we're, we're not on board with this." And the school said, "Well, we don't care what the parents think. You know, we're going to do this anyways." And now they're again, you know, looking at a lawsuit. It's just absolute craziness. I've got a story from Sun Prairie. That is another example of that craziness. We'll talk about that probably around 1230. I want to start with the story that's out um, today. Ford Motor Company announced yesterday that for its new vehicles, starting with its 2024 models, most, if not all, will not come with AM radios. Now, this... This has been something that's been in the works at least for a while when it comes to electric vehicles. For the electric vehicles, a number of the car manufacturers have said, we're not going to produce electric vehicles with AM radios. And why they say it is because the you know AM signal um, is interfered with by the electronics and the electric cars, and, and we're not able to get a solid signal. Now, I, I candidly believe for about 50 cents or a dollar per car, they could fix that with a muffler. But regardless, that, that's what they've said. So we're, we're not planning on putting AM radios in electric vehicles. This is the first time, I believe, that you've had a domestic car manufacturer who said, all right, even in the standard, your typical Fords that, again, it's the internal combustion engine, we're not going to put AM radios in the cars. And I, I think that the thought is, and the way they justify it, is they say, well, you know, we're there are other ways that people can access AM radio if they choose to do so. You can download the apps. You know, you can listen through the Internet and things like that because all our new models are equipped with, you know, Bluetooth capability and you can listen through your phone and do things like that. So people who really want AM radio, they'll be able to find it. But they've made the decision that apparently there's not enough demand out there 
for people who are purchasing new cars to simply be able to push the button and have AM radio. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I understand that there are a number of broadcast outlets who are calling for congressional involvement. And they're saying, okay, we want you to call your congressman and tell them that the law... We need a law which says that AM radios must be in cars. Well, I, I'm not a big government guy. I'm, I'm the guy that argues on a regular basis that the government shouldn't be telling us that we can't have um, gasoline-powered lawnmowers. I'm the guy that's arguing that the government shouldn't be telling us that we can't buy the internal combustion cars. I'm a guy arguing that the, it's the marketplace that should decide that. And so that's kind of how I approach this. The question is, from the perspective of those of you who drive in automobiles, all right, how important is AM radio? And if the car manufacturers made the decision that, okay, we're, we're not going to put the AM radio in the car, would that affect your buying choices? Because, candidly, that's the best way to get the attention of the car manufacturers to say, hey, this car doesn't come with an AM radio. Well, then I'm not interested. I'm looking for a car that does. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. And look, in going into this, I I understand I I come at this with with a bias. I work for a Heritage AM radio station. So I have an interest in making sure that our signal is available to as many people as possible. And let's be honest, even though there's ways that people can find the signal um, otherwise, you, you take AM radio out of a car, you make it more difficult and then simply, you know, pushing the button, you're on the AM dial, setting 620 is one of your presets. But the truth of the matter is it makes it more difficult for you to find. I think the car manufacturers are making a huge mistake because I think there's a lot of demand for AM radio. And look, here, here's the reality about this. So maybe you like the news. Maybe you like the talk shows. Maybe you like to listen to the Bucks and the Brewers and things like that. You take AM out of cars, and I'm not going to say you're not going to be able to do it, but you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops to do it. Are we ready to have AM radio disappear from cars? That's what Ford is doing. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, th- this debate about taking AM radios out of cars started with the whole electric vehicle thing. And, and manufacturers of electric vehicles have been saying, well, we can't put AM radio in these cars because the electronics interfere with the AM radio signal. And, and candidly, I, I think there's a pretty simple workaround, but they, they don't necessarily want to do it. But this is the first time, I believe, that you've heard a major car manufacturer, in this case Ford, say we're we're pulling AM radios out of new cars, not electric vehicles, but the new regular internal combustion engine cars starting with the 2024 model year. I don't know if this is a case in my mind where it's it's appropriate for the government to come in and say you have to put AM radios in, although it is true in times of emergencies and tornado warnings and things like that, people tune to AM radio. But I, I think regardless of that, you've got a consumer situation here, and the, the whole idea is I, I think I think this is where consumers stand up and say, hey, look, you know, we we want AM radios in cars. Let's start with Christine in Illinois. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Christine. My response was it's 100 percent. Yes. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Christine. My response that it's. Go ahead. Hi, Jeff. 
Hi, Christine, you're on the air. Uh, my response, okay, hi. Um, my response was that it's 100% important to me. Uh, like so many uh, things that can be done on uh, a computer, um, it takes the work from the um, manufacturers of the cars, from the car itself, and puts it on you. You're spending your time, you're fussing with the whatever to try and reconnect a different way. Um, absolutely positively won't buy a car without a AM radio as long as they're there. And that's a problem because I'd like an electric car, but I, I want the radio more. Yeah, that's no, interesting. Thanks for the call, Christine. And that a couple of our texters are saying it's it's follow the money. What financial benefit do car dealers get from this? Car manufacturers, and, and I think, I mean, I, I think it's space on on the dashboard. You know, the on on the computer screen that you have. Um, they put all sorts of features on there, and if you don't have an, an AM band, for example, that's added space that you can do something else with. Now, what you're going to do with that, I, I, I don't know, but that's kind of it. Now, look, I, look, I understand that, that things have, have changed and evolved. I, um, there was a period of time where, you know, cars came with cassette decks, you know, when you had the cassettes and you could put it in. And then there was a big time when, you know, you had cars that came with CD changers and, and you could have, you could put five CDs in at once. Now, I, I don't think that there's too many cars that they make anymore with the, the CDs. So I understand stuff changes. I understand technology changes. I'm just not sure that the average consumer, the people that are going to buy vehicles, are in a position where they say, okay, we don't care about having AM radios in cars. Let's talk to Dennis in West Dallas. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call today, Jeff. Hi, Dennis. Yeah, I I grew up with my mom had WTMJ on the radio from morning until the time that she went to bed. So I grew up listening to you guys. I start my day at midnight because I deliver newspapers for the journal. And I listen to you guys all day long. Matter of fact, I have a radio out of my kitchen that has TMJ on all the time. I, so I, I really enjoy AM radio. Uh, and I guess like two two points. First of all, how how is this going to affect the availability of EAS? Yeah. And secondly, and there are some stations that, I, okay, I there's a program you guys used to carry in the middle of the night, Red Eye Radio, and I can only find that on WLW out of Cincinnati in the middle of the night. Right. <laughs> so, and that's an AM station also. Right. But uh, otherwise, I'm listening to you guys all the time, man, and it's always an AM station that I got to in some yeah, way, it, shape, or form. Yeah, no, thank, thanks, and I think a lot of people are are in fact like that. And, and a number of people are texting. And look, you, you are, there's other ways you can find us. Um, for example, you know, it's like through, our, through Bluetooth and through the app. When, when we are, when we are in Florida, for example, you know, my, my wife regularly listens to WTMJ and you can do it through the app. So there's, there, there are ways you can do it. If you take AM out of cars, it's not like the AM dial is going to go away. It, it's not like we're going to stop broadcasting. But the truth of the matter is, from, from just a pure business perspective, you want to be as available and accessible as, as possible to people. I mean, you, you want to give people all the different options they can have to listen. I mean, that's one of the reasons we've got cameras that are up here. Now, I mean, I, obviously, we are spoken word, and most people are going to continue to, 
take in the content that we were offering, you know, over the, the radio or through the stream or things like that. But nevertheless, hey, the, one of the reasons we're doing the cameras is that there is a, a certain portion of the audience, obviously much smaller than the overall listening audience, but who we, we think, you know, might like to watch along on their computer screens. And so that's why we're doing this. You take AM out of cars and you let's be honest with you, you make it more difficult to try to find the product. I just don't think that I think that there's a huge listener base out there still for AM radio. And, and yes, people can find you, but it's different than just being able to, I don't know, push a button on a touch screen and boom, all of a sudden you've got AM and you've got all the different channels that are out there. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Robert in Bayside. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Robert. Robert. Okay, let's try John in New Berlin. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. What do you think? Anyways, I'm about as old school as you can get with stuff. But, you know, I drive all over the state, all over the country, and using some of the apps uh, like TuneIn, mm-hmm. uh, iHeartRadio, you know, through my phone, I listen to you, you know, anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the to have the actual radio in your car AM. You know, people are like, "Oh, I can't listen to AM." If you have a smartphone, which yeah. nowadays who doesn't? Sure, you can listen to AM through these apps anywhere. Yeah, you, so you, like I you said, it's it. just kind of superfluous having the actual AM radio. Well, I, I mean, kind it, of a moot point. Well, no, but that, then you can make that argument about anything. Then, you, then you don't need the FM dot. Then you would would you argue the same thing? You don't need FM radios either because you can do the same thing. You still need the receiver. You need something to receive yeah. the the Bluetooth from your phone. Yeah, right. But so, I mean. Right, I get, but I get it. I think, but see, but I guess my argument is it, it's it's all superfluous. I mean, yes, yes, you you can pull out the FM radio as well, and as long as you've got the Bluetooth and you you can stream the thing, you you'll be all you you'll be all set. There's ways you can do it with the different apps and things like that. But but the the question becomes. It becomes more difficult to do it. Yes, I mean, AM radio is not going to go away, and I, I fully acknowledge that. And like I say, I, I understand that. And I, for all those of you who, who, who you know, do, you know, listen to us through the apps in your cars and stuff like that, you, God bless you. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. But let's be honest, it's still just a lot easier if all you have to do is push a couple buttons, I'm I, I'm waiting for my new car to be delivered. I, I've been telling you the story. It's, it was I bought it in November. It's still not here. So I'm driving this this rental car, and and yes, it's it's driving me nuts. First of all, because I don't have satellite radio in it, but secondly, it's I mean, yes, could I to listen to the radio if I didn't have the AM dial? Could I like? Again, hook up my computer and do all my phone and do all that stuff. Yes, but let's face it; it's easier to get in the car. You push the button, you turn it on, you push the AM dial. Boom, six twenty is there. It, it's a lot easier for that. It's a lot more convenient. And I guess I'm looking at this thinking of a lot of the stuff, of all the extra extraneous stuff that you've got in cars. Apparently, the car manufacturers don't think that people care about AM radio, and I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. Dave in Mequon. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff. I was just um, saying that I think that's where a lot of people get their right-wing news from, right-wing perspective. You know, our side, the majority of radio I listen to is all right-wing shows, Mm -hmm. and that's like the largest voice we got. 
Well, and they, it, that's the reason they want to take it away. Well, I think so. I don't think. I, look, I'm not going down that conspiracy route. But yes, if you are a fan of conservative voices, you're not getting that from newspapers. You're not getting that from most TV stations. That's just the the truth. You, I mean, that's you're getting a lot of that from the AM band. There, there's no question about it. Do I think there's a conspiracy going on? No, I don't believe that there's a conspiracy going on. But I do think that in this case. Ford believes that, okay, AM radio isn't a buying factor for a lot of people. And I I just, I think they're badly misjudging where interests are. Now, I guess, I mean, time will tell. Like I say, I'm a free market guy. The purpose of this conversation isn't to say, oh, I think the government needs to come in and the government needs to mandate that manufacturers put AM radios in cars. You can make the argument like, where are you going to get the AES tests and things like that? But I think it's more of a free market sort of thing. And the way this comes out is if you know, people stand up and say, you know, we, we want the AM radio. And if our choice is between two vehicles and one's got AM radio in it and one doesn't, we're going the AM radio route. I think Ford is making a mistake. And again, I understand uh, there, there's some degree of self-interest here because I work for an AM radio station, but I'm also a fan of AM radio. And I bring this up from the perspective that, look, if, if this happens over the next five or 10 years, I doubt I'm going to be doing a radio show. I'm I, I'm I'm on the back nine of my radio career. I fully understand that. Now, whether I'm teeing off on the 14th hole or putting out on 17, I, I'm not sure. But I mean, I, I acknowledge this is this is you know over the next five, ten, fifteen years. All right, AM radio is going to move on without me. That is just kind of the reality. But I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan, and I'm going to be listening to AM radio until the day that I die. And I I can will I be doing this you know through apps if I have no other choice. Yeah, but from a market perspective, I still want my AM radio in the cars. We are going to continue this for one more segment because it's nice to know we've touched a nerve. Now, obviously, you're listening to an AM radio show, so if if you didn't care about it, nobody would. But clearly, lots of people care about this effort to remove AM radios from cars. And this isn't being required by the government. This is something, for example, that Ford Motor Company thinks is a good idea to do. I think they're going to be really sorrily, um, they're going to be sorry about this. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Judy in Wauwatosa. Hi, Judy. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Well, first of all, um, I love AM radio, and a lot of my friends, you know, they're conservatives. They're just kind of like, oh, you have to listen to AM radio all the time and everything. I'm not a conservative, but I just love um, that you're open to everything, and I Mm -hmm. love listening to you. And when I'm in my car, you're the only person. My mom was in a nursing home, and... I'd have to wait to listen to something mm-hmm. until I went into the home. And you, you're like who I listen to. I never felt you're biased or anything. And I'm definitely not a um, conservative, but no, good. I didn't think that really mattered. And I, I would really miss having 
my AM radio because that's all I listen to when I'm driving my car. Well, Judy, I, th- I appreciate that. But no, thanks for that. That's so very kind of you. And I look, and I, I appreciate it. And it's it again. There, if they pull AM radios out of cars, there's still going to be a way you can find the AM signal. But it it does uh, and. And like I say, we have you have apps for that. When we are in Florida, my wife regularly listens to my my broadcasts because you know she we've we've got the apps and things like that. So there's ways that you can do it. So the the, the station doesn't go away, but it, let's be honest with you, it makes it a lot more a lot less convenient. You know, one of the people, the number of texters saying, you know, this is follow the money. You know, what's what's the deal? What's the financial benefit that Ford gets out of this? Most radios are FMAM. I, I think the 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 advantage is that this is if you remove the AM dial, quote unquote. I'm using the dial. I mean, it's if you take that from the computer screens, it gives you the ability to put in something else. Some of these other features that probably people never ever use that they're able to charge for. I just think they're making a mistake because there's a huge audience out there that listens to AM radio still. Let's talk to uh, let's see Ray in Fond du Lac. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, you know uh, the biggest problem I have with this is I spend a lot of time in my car, mm-hmm. and because of restrictions. I would not be able. I would not be able to listen to the Brewers or the Bucks yep. on TMJ because it's blacked out in my area. Yes. So I, I would totally lose that. I can't listen to it through the app. I've actually tried to listen to the games through the app in my house, and I can't. Yeah, it won't let me. It yep. it does a replay of some old stuff. Right. Yep. That's what I get. No, no. Th- thanks for calling. And that's, I mean, and that's. By the way, that's not us. That's that's the rules that we play under under our deals with like Major League Baseball and the NBA and things like that. Because because trust me, if if it was up to us, we would we would be streaming all over. But we're not allowed to under the deals of the contract. So that that's that is that is a factor as well. And look, I understand. Now, somebody makes the argument that, well, that, you know, people didn't complain when they pulled CD players out. Well, okay, that was a technology that I think, and I understand there's still people who listen to CDs, but that was a technology that became outmoded and people were quickly able to adapt and get around it. So I guess is, is AM radio at that stage? Well, there's millions and millions and millions of people who listen to AM radio and you get the emergency broadcast stuff. Now, one of our texters also points out that I, I'm listening, you've got, you've got your FM channel, which is 103.3. And and yes, we do simulcast on on that, but that that is a very the signal. With I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds, but yes, we we do have an FM station that that carries this broadcast 103.3. But the signal is is nowhere near as strong, and pretty much once you get out of Milwaukee County, good luck trying to pick it up. It, it's so it's it's not like there is the equivalent to. Again, the, the coverage that you're going to get driving, you know, in your car, you know, going, you know, what are we covering? You know, Two thirds of the state of Wisconsin, and you can get us down to Indiana or depending on, you know, what the signal is certainly across the pond. Will you be able to find AM radio stations? Yes. Will you be able to find places like WTMJ? Will WTMJ go away if Ford pulls AM radios out? No, it's not going to go away. But at the same time, I think it's going to be a significant inconvenience for a lot of people. Ford is considering and deciding, well, we, we don't think it makes a difference. I think that they don't understand how many people listen to AM radio. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, shut that baby up. 
Stick around. Okay, I think it was our first, the first listener cruise we did about four or five years ago. We were coming back. It was the trip, I believe, on the Danube. And, and we're coming back, and I was, Fran and I were, were flying, and we were, we we're in coach. Um, so we're, we're kind of at the back of the, this packed plane that's flying. I, I think it, I think it was Rome to, uh, Chicago. I think that's what the flight was. But, um, so we're, we're on the plane and behind us, and the, the plane is, is packed. There's nowhere to go. And behind us, in the row behind us, it's a family of three. And they've got a little girl who's sitting in the middle. And the girl is, I'd say five or six years old. And okay, so you're talking about a flight that's six or seven or eight hours, whatever this is. And I, I swear I'm not making this up. The kid coughed the entire time. <coughs> you know, I mean, just cough. The kid had a bad cold. The kid is coughing. When the kid wasn't coughing, the kid was kicking my wife's seat. And, you know, I mean, it just it went kind of on and on and on. And I'm sitting there thinking, look, I understand this is a bad situation for parents to be in. But I remember sitting there thinking, I, I don't get First of all, I'm, I'm not sure if the kid was this sick. I'm not sure that it was a wise idea to travel in the first place. But I'm also thinking, okay, g- give her something. Get some cough medication. Get some brandy or something. Knock her out for a while because the child was miserable. And everybody around them, including, you know, particularly us, because she's kicking the back of my wife's seat, are miserable. And I'm, I'm kind of getting a little agitated about this. And my wife, because she, Fran, is a much better person than I am. There's no question about it. She's like, oh, I feel so bad for the parents. I'm going, what do you mean the parents? <laughs> I feel I feel bad for, for us because this, this kid is just like hacking up a lung and she's kicking your, your seat. And she's, I just feel bad for the parents because there's nothing they can do. But in any event, it's it just becomes a story that you can tell about like an awful plane trip. And it would have never occurred to me for, and plus, you know, they couldn't move us. And they couldn't move the, these people. I mean, the plane was just full, and you've got this sick kid, and there's really there's nothing that anybody can do other than tough it out. And it, it's a miserable trip, bad experience, but it, it just it's what happened. So I was thinking about that when I came across this story. Southwest Airlines has a situation where the other day, apparently what happens is there is a flight, Southwest flight across Florida, bound for Fort Lauderdale, was rerouted to Orlando after they have an incident that they say is due to the weather. Apparently, what happens is there's there's a couple that's traveling with a baby, and apparently the baby starts to cry. And as babies do, um, the, the child keeps crying. And apparently the mother's trying to quiet down the kid, but it's not like church where you can, the kid is screaming and you, you can walk out into the vestibule or, or go outside or whatever. You're on a full airplane flight. So what happens is one of the passengers, I mean, just, just completely and totally loses it. And apparently he, he stands up. And starts, you know, first of all, he says, can you calm the child down, please? I had headphones on. I was sleeping. Why is this baby yelling? And then the guy gets up and starts screaming. I'm not screaming. Want me to scream? I'll blanking scream. Please stop the baby. 
The man is heard saying during a nearly four-minute video, we're in a blanking tin can with a baby in a blanking echo chamber. Can you lower that voice? I paid for a ticket to have a blanking, comfortable flight. Now, he's not saying blanking, but you get the idea. I paid for the ticket to have a blanking, comfortable flight. That child has been crying for 40 minutes. Southwest crew members attempted to calm the man down. Um, and of course, they're, they're also, they're, they're having turbulence. So the plane is, they've got the seatbelt signs on because the plane is bouncing up and down. Southwest crew members attempted to calm the man down before a flight attendant eventually instructs another crew member to contact authorities. Ultimately, apparently what happened is once the flight leveled out, flight attendants moved the woman and the baby to another part of the plane. But what happened is they diverted the plane to Orlando and they essentially arrested the guy who was creating the disturbance because, you know, you had the the screaming, the, the guy who was screaming about the screaming child. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I've been on a lot of flights from, like, you know where. And that's why I started this by describing, you know, just imagine flying from Europe back to Chicago. It's hours and hours and hours. You're on this full flight. You've got this kid that's hacking up a lung and kicking, you know, your, your seat. And the parents are either unable or unwilling to control the kid. And there's nothing you can do. There's just flat out nothing you can do. But... It didn't occur to me to just kind of lose it over the fact that you had this kid that was behaving in that fashion. In this particular case, you've got the guy on Southwest that just, again, goes absolutely bonkers because the kid is apparently um, apparently screaming. 855-616-1620. He ultimately, the flight diverted because of the disturbance he caused, and he ultimately, I think, was arrested because he did this. Did Southwest handle this properly? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. Southwest, apparently, once once this all calmed down, once they were able to get the seatbelt signs off, what Southwest did is they were able to relocate the woman and the baby, who was presumably still screaming, but they diverted the plane to Orlando, and they had this guy off the plane. Is that the way to handle this? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Look, I... I guess I, I listen to the story, and as somebody who travels, I used to travel a lot. I travel less now, but still, I, I understand that this is the type of stuff that happens on airlines, where you have the screaming babies, or you have the dog that's upset with this or whatever, and might bark or whatever, and and you have people who are doing everything they can to calm them down, but you you, you can't you can't get. It's not like church, like I say, where you can take the kid out. To me. I, and this is something that I've learned the kind of the hard way. It, it's a three-word solution, you know, if you don't want to be bothered on airplanes. No, Noise-canceling headphones. Noise-canceling headphones. But to lose it because you've got the baby that, that's crying, to me, you, you just got to kind of tough it out and recognize that this is the sort of stuff that happens. All right. Connie in Portage. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Connie. Um, I don't think I don't think they should have arrested the man to begin with, and I want to know why it would be so hard to put glass and a couple seats in the back of the plane like they used to do in movie theaters for screaming babies. I mean, why? Why would? And what was wrong with the stewardesses that they didn't move the child and the mother, knowing that it was disrupting everybody? 
I mean, I just don't think they did their job right. Well, to where, are they gonna, where are they going to move the man, them? Well, wait, wait. Where are they going to move them? They're going to. You can move them into the back, so there'll still be other. Let's say for the whatever reason, the kid is out of control. So the kid is going to be screaming whether the kid is sitting in sixteen or row thirty-two. So if you move them, you move them away from that guy, but you move them back to another area where the kid is going to be sitting and disturbing people. Well, that gives the other people a break. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, you know, you know what I'm saying. Well, I mean, that guy was pushed. I don't know what his problems were. We don't know what was going on with him. But I think it would be very easy to, to in the back of the plane, to make a little section uh, that's soundproof. Now that would not be that hard. They got a lot of money. They could do that. Okay, thanks. I mean, like sort of like a if you're traveling with children or with pets or whatever, we're going to put you in the back of the bus and, you know, you'll be in the back of the plane and that'll be the area. And so you only have to, like, deal with it as you walk through to get to the restroom. I mean, look, and again, this is from the perspective of somebody who travels a lot. And I say I say this frequently to the extent that there was any cachet about air travel that that's gone. That's been gone a long time. And I guess I just sort of walk on these planes and it's kind of like, look, I, I, I understand the parents are probably embarrassed with this. Does it happen enough that you'd have to create a, a special kids section? I don't think it, it does. I think the bottom line is, for most people, noise-canceling headphones or whatever, sorry the guy was awakened from his sleep by the screaming baby. Believe me, I understand how annoying it's going to be. But at the same time, it's a relatively brief flight. Just tough it out cursing at everybody it doesn't get anything you don't change any of the behavior maybe you just kind of tough it out and recognize that this is one of the things that unfortunately comes with air travel nowadays unless again we're we're going to say small children aren't allowed on planes or we're going to stick them in connie's idea some special like soundproof section don't even know how feasible that is for most of us, I think we just recognize that this is this is what can happen from time to time. You can get seated next to that overweight person, or you can get seated next to that screaming baby, or you can get seated next to the person who's traveling with the pet, and the pet kind of freaks out a little bit. It's just it's just comes with the territory. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So glad to have you with us. All right, let me try to sort of like personalize this in a way. Uh, for those of you who belong to a health club, you know, that have like, like the, I, I belong to the Wisconsin Athletic Club, free plug there, the, the WAC. And so in the, in the men's locker room, they have a sauna, they have a steam bath, they have the locker room, right? That, that, that's, that's it. And I, I've never been in the women's locker room, but I presume it's, it's something similar. If, after I have my workout at the Wisconsin Athletic Club, instead of going into the men's locker room, I were to walk into the women's locker room, walk into the shower facilities or the sauna, take all my clothes off and plop myself down. I, I And let us assume for the sake of argument, that there's a couple ladies in there. Maybe they're there with the kids. And I'm to, I plop myself down, you know, in the all together in the sauna, in addition to not being a pretty picture necessarily, you know what's going to happen. People are going to run out screaming, and pretty soon the, the police are going to be there, and they're going to arrest me, right? And you know what? They should arrest me for doing that sort of stuff, you know, just because, you know, you as an adult male shouldn't be walking into, 
I don't know, female locker rooms and stripping down to the altogether. Which brings me to this story that is breaking today, and it's in the news courtesy of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, who is raising this issue and demanding answers from the Sun Prairie Area School District. Here's apparently what happened. Um, March 3rd of this year, uh, four freshman girls at one of the um, high schools, Sun East Prairie High School, Sun Prairie East High School. Okay, so four freshman girls are participating in their their phys ed. Their gym class is first thing in the morning. And the um, the gym class, this is the, the swimming segment of it. So it's first thing in the morning. They go in, you know, and you, you put on your bathing suits or whatever, and, and you go and you do whatever you do in high school swim class. According to Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, four freshman girls at East High School, Sun Prairie East, participated in a swim unit as part of their first hour physical education class. After the class, the girls entered the shower area in the girls' locker room. And I I think my my understanding is that, you know, nowadays, like in, in health clubs and stuff, you've got oftentimes it's not a communal shower area. It's just, you know, you've got like individual shower stalls. I get the sense that this is a communal shower area. So anyhow, girls entered the shower area in the girls' locker room with their swimsuits on, which was their common practice as they rinsed off. According to the letter, as the girls began to shower, a male student who is 18 years old approached them in the shower, entered the shower shower area, and announced, I'm trans, by the way. The male student then fully undressed and exposed his male genitalia to the four girls in the shower. Um, okay. The girls, after this all happened, then complained, I, I guess. And they said, you know, what's going on here? And the response of, again, without going too deeply into the weeds here, the response of the Sun Prairie Area School District was, well, you know, we're we're sorry about, you know, if they were uncomfortable, but essentially we're not going to do anything uh, about this because the student claims to be trans and because the student claims to be trans, 18 years old, male genitalia, um, we're, we're not going to limit this. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I, I understand that we have to be open and understanding concerning these things. Okay, I, I get it. But I'm trying to imagine this situation. You've got four freshman girls who are in the girls' locker room. You have a guy, and, and at least biologically a male, who comes in and decides that he, she, whatever, is going to strip down to the all together and take a shower with these four freshman girls. And the school district's response is apparently it, it's it's not his problem, it's their problem. And for the parents who are upset, it's, well, okay, you know, we're, we're sorry that this happened, but apparently even though this has been exposed, no pardon, pun intended, they, they really have no intention of changing their policies. And, you know, with this lawsuit, or at least they say, look, you know, they're saying this letter, look, Title IX requires 
you to have investigated this. This should have been reported under federal law. You need to take steps to, uh, again, make sure that this doesn't happen again, and you need to figure this out. But this idea that, in this case, a biological male can simply walk into a locker room, declare, hey, I'm trans, and then shower naked with a bunch of freshman girls, that's fundamentally wrong. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. And, and the, the, I got to admit, these are these types of things that make my head explode. Look, I, I appreciate that you, you have issues nowadays with the, with the question of transgender and how do you accommodate this. But I'm sorry, there's no way in God's green earth that an 18-year-old biological male should be showering with high school, with 14-year-old freshman girls. And and the idea apparently is, well, it's the girl's problem, it's not the guy's problem. And, and again, I'm, I'm not, if, if it's a guy who identifies as a girl, as a woman, and, and you want to call him she, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. But you've got the male equipment. And it seems to me that the school has to reach a different sort of accommodation, which is maybe maybe it's a, a unisex separate changing facility or a separate shower room or something like that to accommodate situations like this. But to me, it's just fundamentally wrong to allow the biological male who can identify as a female, that that's fine, to be walking in and taking showers with young girls who are clearly uncomfortable with this process. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. A number of our texters are pointing out, well, you know, couldn't this be criminal? And the answer is, well, I, maybe an adult male, in this, in this case, the, the person who went into the locker room, the biological male, um, was 18 years old, an, an adult male exposing his genitals to four freshman girls could potentially implicate a Wisconsin criminal statute. Um, potentially. And, and again, it's, it gets, I mean, it gets kind of dicey, but, but yes, as a general rule, like I say, if you as a male walk into the sauna at your health club, into the woman's sauna, and you're in the all together, chances are they're going to call the cops and you are in fact going to be arrested. There, there's no doubt about it. So that's part of the, the, this letter saying, hey, you know, what, what did the school district do? Why didn't it? You know, it has an obligation to mandatory report this stuff. Why didn't it do it? What it's, are its policies? Are they going to change these policies, etc.? But the school district apparently doesn't seem to think that this is a big thing. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. And look, and I understand that you, we have this issue with transgender individuals. And I understand that there needs to be some degree of accommodation. And maybe, again, it's a separate changing facility. But I, there's something wrong with an 18-year-old biological male, however he or she identifies himself, walking in, stripping down, and jumping in a shower with four high school freshmen. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Suzanne in Oak Creek. Suzanne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Suzanne. Um, I, I find this to be, um, number one, uh, very illegal, and number two, very, very, very sad that we have come to this point. Um, if this is what this young man uh, wants to identify by, 
that's fine, but biologically he is a male, and no matter what he does to his body, he will remain a male. That's how he was born. If I was the parent of these young women, I feel that they are possibly traumatized. I would lawyer up so fast. Um, I, I'm i sorry to say I, I'm... I'm not a Sue crazy person, but I don't feel this kind of exposure is legal, moral. Well, I guess. Shame on well, Susan, thanks for calling. I mean, I don't want to get into the moral sort of, of stuff about this and, and the legal thing. I mean, that 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 is an interesting issue that's out there. But just as a policy matter, I, I think most reasonable people would agree that this is that, that this is a very, very bad policy. And look, and I appreciate that if you have the transgender student who is, I don't know, uncomfortable, you know, showering in the locker room facility with, you know, people of the same set of, of, of his biological sex in this case, I, I appreciate that maybe you want to do something to figure out an accommodation. And I'm not opposed to that kind of accommodation, but, but this isn't an accommodation. And I mean, walking in again as a biological male, walking into the shower and saying, "Hey, I, I'm I'm transgender," and and then boom, you know, you're you're showering with the four teenage girls who perhaps are not as enlightened as I don't know, maybe you know the administrators at Sun Prairie High School. But you do, you know, you do wrestle with all these things, and apparently, it's very very clear that this high school put the rights of the transgender student ahead of the rights, it seems to me, of the various other students. And I have no problem with working out an accommodation, but this is not an accommodation. And if I understand, if I were the parents of these kids, I can understand why you'd be extremely upset about this. Valerie in West Bend. Valerie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I don't understand how this is not indecent exposure. If this was someone, an adult male, exposing himself Mm -hmm. at a playground or at a bus stop, a school bus stop, and claiming to be transgender, how, how do those girls who are freshmen, 14 years old, um, get through that and understand it that this person is transgender, but it's okay? Well, well, right, and it's your problem if you are uncomfortable showering with somebody biologically from the opposite sex who has different equipment than you do. I mean, and, and look, you got, you, you got, you got. I mean, I think you can make this argument about women at necessarily any age. My, I, my guess is, I don't know about you, Valerie, but if you were in that health club and somebody walked in who was biologically a male and climbed into the sauna next to you with all the male equipment, my guess is you might be a little uncomfortable with that, you know, I would guess. More than a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I- exactly. And so, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's fine to figure out an accommodation, and maybe there needs to be a separate facility or whatever. But this is, to me, it, it's a big deal, and I understand why these freshman girls would be uncomfortable slash upset slash, I don't know, traumatized, whatever word you want to use. But that the school district shouldn't just be able to turn, well, okay, this is just, this is the kind of stuff that happens. You know, it, it shouldn't be happening, and they should have a policy to make sure it doesn't happen again. And did he really need to take a shower from swimming? Well, yeah, and I, and by the way, and I don't know, I mean, thanks to Call Valley, I don't, that's the other weird thing, I, I don't, I don't know why 
the transgender student was showering in the locker room either. The, the girls were there. They had a, they were freshman girls in a gym class. So they, they had to be in there. I mean, they had just gotten done with their gym class. The, the biological male, the transgender student walks into the shower. Now, I don't know if he, she, whatever had, had, had completed a gym class as well. She wasn't, the 18 year old was not in the same class as the swim class as the four girls. The 18 year old walks into the shower independently. And I, look, I, I don't even want to get into the issues about whether this, is this, child legitimately is this 18 year old legitimately transgender whatever and doesn't mean that i don't i don't care about that i just think that you have to figure out as we are dealing with these issues and life gets more complicated you have to figure out a reasonable balance yes you want to accommodate the transgender students so the transgender student is not uncomfortable or whatever but you can't do that at the expense of the other 98 percent or 99 percent of the students you have to work out a balancing act and so if the biological male transgender student is uncomfortable being in a locker room a male locker room with other people who have the same biological equipment fine fine you know work out an accommodation create Again, that that transgender, that that you know, unisex, you know, changing area or whatever. I have no problem with that. Maybe you have to spend a little bit of money to put in a shower or whatever. Okay, I'm cool with that. But the alternative can't be here. Just walk into the girls' locker room and just announce, "Hey, by the way, don't worry, I'm I'm transgender here, and and then I'm going to take off all my clothes." It's we got to do a better job about balancing the respective interests of the transgender student and all the other kids. Yep, Sun Prairie East High School in the news and not in a good way. Well, you can't say this guy was not cursed with self-awareness. Here's the story from Fox 6. A 19-year-old Heartland man is accused of violating a restraining order and then leading Ozaki County law enforcement on a miles-long chase that reached speeds of 120 miles per hour. The accused is Benjamin Rodriguez, and he now faces the following criminal counts. First degree, recklessly endangering safety, attempting to flee or elude an officer, knowingly violating a harassment restraining order. According to the criminal complaint, Ozaki County Sheriff's deputies responded to a residence in the town of Belgium around 2 a.m. on Friday, April 14th. So that would be a week ago today for a report that the defendant, Rodriguez, was violating a restraining order. While responding to the home, deputies learned the defendant left the residence in a white Camaro. Moments later, a deputy spotted the vehicle. The complaint says as Rodriguez was attempting to turn around, the deputy heard the vehicle accelerating away from him at a high rate of speed and lost visual of the vehicle. All right, so they they get this report that he's where he's not supposed to be. They show up. He takes off. A short time later, another deputy spotted the Camaro in the town of Port Washington, activated his lights and siren, and attempted to catch up to the vehicle to conduct a traffic stop. The deputy said that he reached a speed approaching 95 miles an hour in his squad and that the defendant continued to pull away from him at a high rate of speed. The deputy pulled over when he was approached by a person who ran to his squad, frantically stating that guy almost killed me in reference to the defendant in the Camaro. A couple minutes later, 
a Grafton police officer spotted the Camaro at the intersection of Highway 32 and Highway W. At one point, he was nose-to-nose with the defendant and attempted a traffic stop. But the complaint says Rodriguez immediately sped away from him at a high rate of speed and proceeded northbound on Highway 32 towards the freeway, I-43. Officer continued to pursue, noticed the defendant was traveling well over 100 miles an hour. The complaint says that there was very little traffic and that the white Camaro speed appeared to be around 120. During the pursuit, the defendant continued southbound on I-43. The officer terminated his pursuit because he was aware construction workers are in the area. That's where the the I-43 freeway expansion is going on. And if you've driven any time like north of Bayshore Shopping Center, it or Bayshore Town Center is what they call it now, it's it's just there's it's just a mess. Anyway, a deputy continued looking for the Camaro and spotted it traveling east on Brown Deer Road. The vehicle was driving with no headlights and taillights activated. The complaint says that when Rodriguez saw the deputy squad, he drove around multiple road close signs, construction barrels, and barricades to access the southbound on-ramp to I-43. The defendant was driving through the construction zone with no lights on his vehicle. It really is a miracle that nobody's dead. At 2.48 p.m., the deputy made phone contact with Rodriguez, so they know who this is. The complaint says that Rodriguez stated, me and my girlfriend were hanging out and we got caught. He stated he left his girlfriend's residence because her parents got a restraining order on me. Okay, so he's got a restraining order. He's not supposed to be there. He decides that he's going to go see the girlfriend. Apparently, the parents dime him out, and then all this happens. The defendant uh, and the deputy made arrangements for him to turn himself in, which he subsequently did. During an interview, Rodriguez was asked the $64,000, in this case, probably five-year-in-prison question, why he fled police. And his response, quote, he said he knew he was going to get arrested. Okay, so... Now, first of all, you want to acknowledge that this guy does have the gift of self-awareness. He knew that he was going to get arrested for violating the restraining order. All right, so that that's true. He was going to get arrested. At the same time, he doesn't have the common sense that God gave a goose, because if he would have been arrested for violating the restraining order, in all likelihood, they would have given him a warning, or at the very least, I don't know, maybe he prosecuted him for that, but probably nothing was going to happen. But yes, he would have been arrested and he would have spent maybe a couple hours in, in the lockup before being released on bail. In this case, by taking off, leading the cops on a high-speed chase, almost hitting people, driving through construction zones, etc., he not only guaranteed that he was going to be arrested, but he's now probably guaranteed that he appropriately should be in prison for a couple years. So he's got the gift of self-awareness. He knew he was going to be arrested. He doesn't have the judgment, though, that God gave a goose because, hey, I'm going to try to get away. I might be arrested for violating the restraining order. So here's what I'll do. I'll lead a whole bunch of cops on a high-speed chase. Yeah, that's a good idea. And it's it's not like they weren't able to identify who he was. Everybody knew who this guy was. So my guess is, well, we're not doing it today, but we frequently do tomorrow's prisoners today. Um, this would be a situation exactly like that. And the winning candidate would be 19-year-old Benjamin Rodriguez, who exercised, I think we could say, bad judgment and will in all likelihood be a guest of well, the state of Wisconsin for the next couple of years. When we come back, a lot of stuff coming up on the program, including, do you think 
the my pillow guy is going to pay the five million bucks, and the new boss sounds a lot like the old boss. I'll explain and we'll discuss. The Paps Theater Sunday night. Uh, this is like some free advertising. It's sort of interesting. The monkeys celebrated by Mickey Dolenz. All right, now Mickey Dolenz. This this will make you feel old. Mickey Dolenz is the only remaining living monkey. Um, all three of the others, Peter Tork and Michael Nesmith and Davy Jones, they have all passed away. Mickey Jones, he, he's uh, Mickey Dolenz. He's still out on on the road. He's apparently going to be at the Paps Theater. They call it a, the Monkeys Celebrated by Mickey Dolenz, and they're going to he's going to be doing songs celebrating a new box set based around the monkey's third number one album headquarters all right performing material from that it's it's just sort of interesting because this is one of the ways you start to feel old because i remember when the the monkeys were on tv and i remember when the monkeys were a big thing and um now they're all gone except for mickey dolan's but he's going to be in milwaukee at the paps theater on sunday night all right last weekend in chicago i, I they had I don't know if it's fair to say that it's a riot, but they had, well, chaos both on Friday and Saturday nights because last weekend, again, was warm weather. And what happened is partly due to social media, you had an enormous number of young people who, you know, essentially poured into, you know, downtown Chicago, the loop, et cetera, and created just complete and total Chaos. If you maybe you've seen some of the videos of this, there's kids that are jumping on buses. There's cars that are destroyed. There's um, there there's shots that are ending up firing. Chicago police said officers responded to groups of youth near 31st Street Beach Friday night and downtown near Millennium Park on Saturday night. The youths were engaging in reckless and disruptive behavior, putting themselves and the public at risk for harm. Nine adults and six juveniles were arrested as a result of the swarm on Saturday night. Most of the Saturday charges were for reckless conduct. However, a 16-year-old boy was also charged with unlawful use of a weapon, and a firearm was recovered. An adult and a juvenile were also charged with possession of a stolen vehicle. It goes on and on and on in various charges. And what they ended up doing is people were who were like patronizing restaurants in this area, they were essentially, you know, pinned in. They became prisoners because you had the the mob or the swarm or whatever that had kind of taken over the streets. So in, in general, you would have the conclusion that this was, you know, sort of unacceptable, bad behavior. Well, into this wades the mayor-elect of of the city. His name is Brandon Johnson. And he will soon be replacing Lori Lightfoot, who was the the one term mayor of the city, and and she was booted out. Um, Brandon Johnson is again; he was the liberal candidate. I think a lot of people thought the more conservative Democrat, and it's a nonpartisan election, but they were both Democrats. It's Chicago. A lot of people thought the more conservative Democrat was going to win, but but Brandon Johnson ended up winning. So he hasn't taken office as the mayor of Chicago yet, but he, he put out a statement in the aftermath of all this destruction and chaos, use whatever word you want to use, that happened on Friday and Saturday night. So here's what he said. Quote, in no way do I condone the destructive activity we saw in the Loop and the Lakefront this weekend. It is unacceptable and has no place in our city. Okay, everything's fine there. He goes on, however, to say, however... 
it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. However, it's not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. So for everybody that was appalled at this and who were criticizing the people who were jumping on the buses and firing off the guns and fighting and creating the brawls, well, we we shouldn't demonize those people. Because don't you understand, they've been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Excuse me, Mr. Mayor-elect. Seems to me that this isn't demonizing youth, but instead it is reacting to criminal behavior. And maybe if you would react to criminal behavior and you would say, you know what, Everybody who's down in Chicago or in any city, anybody who is down here has the right to, I don't know, enjoy the city and and not be afraid that you're going to be attacked by this mob or you're going to catch a stray bullet or you're not going to be able to leave a restaurant because you have this swarm that is there. To me, it's not demonizing behavior. It's reacting to criminals. And that's what these kids were. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. It's not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. No, I'm sorry. That is apologizing and making excuses for bad behavior. And all that's going to do is invite more bad behavior. Gee, all these people that were engaged in fights and things like that, well, you know, we shouldn't demonize them. They they had they didn't have enough opportunities. Nuts to that. 855-616-1620. We talk about this in just a moment. So here's a text. Jeff, I went to Chicago last Saturday with some friends for the White Sox game. Aside from the two different bars we tried to go to at 10.30 in the morning for a beer and a burger that had armed guards and uh, and metal detectors in downtown just to get in, and the brawl that happened with close to 35 people during the national anthem at the Sox game, as well as the abortion support protest that shut down the loop, as well as the teenagers looting and breaking windows in cars Friday and Saturday night, I will never go back to Chicago. I only confirmed it more than once. I, it was only confirmed when I heard the new mayor saying, well, we do have to understand, though, that these younger generations need to get their frustration out, and we have to hear them rather than saying this is unacceptable and we will prosecute them that city is done in my opinion there is a piece uh today that appears let me see where does this come from oh it's from fox news it's an editorial frank sinatra's chicago is no more you know my kind of town all that sort of stuff let's talk to paul in Cary, illinois hi paul you're on wtmj Hi, Jeff. Always love your show. Thank you, sir. Uh, what's interesting is the mayor, not only did he make those comments this past weekend, but he doubled down on Wednesday when he addressed both houses of the state legislation down in Springfield. I'm sorry. These people are not the victims. What they did was make victims. There was a couple on the local news. They were beat up by roughly 15 people. And what's interesting is there was a cop car that went by with two police officers. It was reported and confirmed that those police officers were told not to get out because they would have been outnumbered. They possibly could have been injured. The cop car could have been stolen or set on fire. 
we're done going to Chicago. We live in the northwest suburbs. We're done. I know a young lady that's a lawyer that lives in a Hancock building. She's moving. Yeah. It's just, it's not what it used to be. And I'm sorry, those youths are not the victims. Right. What they're doing is criminal. Right. And, you know. Well, you well, but Paul, but Paul, but Paul, don't, Paul, don't you understand? They, they've been starved of the opportunities in their own communities. So they have no choice but to flood into downtown and, and loot and break windows and attack people. I mean, it's, they, they have no choice. They've been forced into this, Paul. And what's interesting is for the last couple of days down here in Chicago, all over the news, they're talking about this is going to happen again, but they're sending adults in to watch this and to help them make better choices. So social media has already been saying this is going to happen again this weekend. It's all over the news. Why would anybody want to go downtown anymore? There used to be places where you knew you were going to have a good time. You knew you were going to have a good meal. You knew you were going to, you know, it yeah. was a place to go. Not no more, Jeff. No, no. Thanks for call. A- absolutely, and, and that. See, and I think that's the reaction that that many many people are, are going to have, and, and it's a problem that you have in urban areas. And we talk about it, you know, uh, this stuff going on in Milwaukee a lot. But this this was just this kind of big deal, and I mean, and a part of it is part of it is a blame Chicago voters. Part of you get you get what you elect. And, you know, the guy that was running for mayor against Johnson was running on a, hey, let's get tougher on crime attitude. The voters decided, no, we're going to go this way. Well, this is what you get. And, and this is it is his attitude. His attitude is, well, you know, I, I, I don't condone this, but well, I don't condone it. But, you know, we, we can't demonize the people who are doing it. You can demonize the criminal behavior, for goodness sakes. And if you do not hold people accountable, good, send in the monitors. I, that's it. Send an adult to say gee um don't light that don't light that car on fire or get off the bus you know but get off the top of the bus or you know stop breaking those windows yeah like that's going to do anything the only thing that's going to make a difference is holding people accountable chicago's going to become the next ghost town because you have these politicians and and the people who elect them who decide that we don't want to hold anybody accountable. We want to say that the rights of the mob supersede the rights of the law-abiding citizens. And that's a heck of an attitude to have. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. And again, we've been doing this for about a week now. You don't just have to listen to the program. But if you want, you can now also watch my show and all your favorite WTMJ shows because we now stream live on video from our studios at the Avenue. You can watch online at WTMJ.com. You can watch through our mobile app. You can watch through our WTMJ YouTube page and on all our social channels. Listen while you watch at the WTMJ video stream. How cool is that all right pop culture corner coming up at the bottom of the hour this, this is a story if you haven't seen it this week it's I, I highlighted it on my twitter account it's at jeff wagner 620 there is there is an irony to this story when tony evers ran to be the governor and, and you can't say you weren't warned one of the things that he said he wanted to do was release the to reduce the prison population in half now, I, I personally believe that's crazy. Qu- quite candidly, 
by letting dangerous people out of jail is not the way to make the streets safer. Candidly, I think we should be looking at probably doubling the prison population, but that's just me. But anyhow, he ran on that. We want to let people out of jail. The, there's only two ways that you can reduce the prison population by half. First of all, you can send fewer people to prison. Anybody out there think that's a good idea? Or alternatively, you can take people who are in prison and you can release them early, right? That's how you end up doing it. And and that's precisely what's been going on for the last couple years. The Department of Corrections, and there's a new audit that's out that suggests that they've been doing just an awful job of following up on people who have been released but are supposed to be under some form of supervision. And I think part of the reason why they're trying to look the other way is they don't want to send these people back to prison even after they violate the conditions of the release. The other thing that you can do to get people out early is is parole. And we, we've seen the Evers Parole Board that went out of its way to release people who had committed very, very serious offenses, in some cases with insufficient or no notice to the surviving family members of victims, etc. But they were doing this to fit into the, the Evers model of let's let's open up the prison doors and let's get people back out on the streets. Um, the head of the parole commission was a guy named John Tate. And, and John Tate was handpicked by Tony Evers to, again, be the head of the Parole Commission with the idea that we're going to, again, release people. We, this is the, the mission. And you will recall this became controversial in the months leading up to the election last year because, well, a number of the people that were released by the Parole Commission shouldn't have been released. And so I think Evers freaked out because he recognized that this was a potentially an issue that could hurt him in the election. And John Tate, in some respects, became the fall guy. And so Tate ended up being fired, forced to resign, resigning, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that was. But they pushed him out and kind of made him the fall guy, even though, as I argued at the time, I, I mean, Tate was just doing what Evers wanted him to do. But once the public found out about that, there was a backlash and somebody had to take the fall. And it turned out to be John Tate. Well, Maybe the word is ironic. John Tate now finds himself potentially looking at, if convicted, charges that could put him in jail. It's a weird, weird story. Here's the way the local newspaper reports it. Former Wisconsin Parole Commission chairman and recent Racine alderman John Tate II was criminally charged Tuesday with a felony accusing him of using his capacity as a public official for private interests. Tate is charged with one count of private interest in a public contract while working in a public capacity in Racine County. That's kind of a mouthful. According to the criminal complaint, Tate unlawfully negotiated terms of his employment for Racine's new violence interruption coordinator position. Boy, doesn't that sound like a mouthful and, again, one of these typically useless government jobs. So anyways, according to the criminal complaint, Tate unlawfully negotiated terms of his employment for Racine's new violence interruption coordinator position after approving of the creation of the job as president of the Common Council. Racine used $784,000 in COVID funds to approve the position. The Common Council approved the violence interruption coordinator position on July 19th a meeting that Tate presided over. So they create this job. He's he's the head of the Common Council. The Common Council creates this job. 
The position was advertised in September. Tate applied and became a finalist for the position. So you're on the Common Council. You create this this job, and then you apply for it. Hmm. Red flag should be going off. On October 11th, it was made public through the news media that Tate had accepted a job as an independent police monitor in Madison. Okay? Two late days later, after he's accepted the job in Madison, the city of Racine emails an offer to Tate for the violence interruption coordinator. Tate countered the offer by requesting more salary and more vacation time. If nothing else, he's got guts. Two city officials agreed to Tate's requests and amended the offer to him, the complaint says. So he create he's on the Common Council. He creates this, this job. They offer him the job. He says, I want more money. <laughs> I want, you know, more vacation time. And they say yes. According to the complaint, the amendment raised the pay for this job to 101698 bucks, which is more than the maximum pay listed on the job posting. The salary came with an understanding that he reside in Racine. Tate was also offered more vacation time and an opportunity to participate in a $10,000 forgivable home loan program. So it's not a bad gig. You're a public official. You create th- this job that didn't exist before. You apply for the job. When some of the other people who are in the city then offer you the job, you say, well, that's good, but I I want more than we've advertised the job for, and I want all this vacation time. It gets better. Uh, Prosecutors argue that Tate, by applying for and negotiating the terms of his employment, acted on behalf of his own pecuniary interest. Well, yeah, he did. Tate initially announced he would resign as an alderman to begin as violence interruption coordinator in mid-November. However, Tate then announced in a Facebook post that he was advised that state law prohibits sitting local elected officials from taking positions that were created during their term of office. So he announced that he would finish his term and start the new job. Tate announced his final day as an alderman um, on Monday. So he, he's advised that, well, no, you, you can't take these these jobs that were created during your term of office. So he says, okay, I'll, I'll stay at, as being an alderman. Now, what prosecutors are saying is it, it's worse than that. You know, you can't create a, a job as an alderman, apply for that job, and then um, negotiate terms um, of your employment. You're not acting on behalf of the city, you're acting on behalf of yourself. It's kind of a complicated thing, but at the end of the day, the whole thing just stinks. It just flat out stinks. And you you wonder, and I think I said this at the time, you, you wonder what the city of Racine was thinking, giving a job that was created by a sitting member of the Common Council to that member of the Common Council. I mean, all sorts of red flags. Look, and I don't know if the guy's going to be convicted of a crime. I don't know if it's a plea bargain. I don't know if this is an aggressive prosecution. But but the whole thing just absolutely stinks. And there's no way that he should have been applying for or being offered a job that was created at, at in some respects at, at his at his urging you know while he was an elected official and, and that's i think that's self-evident whether it rises to the level of a crime or not i don't know but i do think it's the ultimate in irony that one of the guys who was on the state parole commission in char entrusted with the task of seeing how many people you can release early now finds himself Facing criminal charges with if it which if convicted 
and if found guilty, could result in him going to prison. Irony, maybe that's the word. So, will Mike pay? Okay, Mike Lindell, that's the my pillow guy who has, um, I, I think in some respects you could say, maybe he should have just stuck with, you know, making like the my pillow products. Now, he's, of course, become the, the darling of a lot of the, the MAGA folks, and he was one of the, you know, leading lights trying to push the, the whole the election was stolen sort of thing. Well, it's kind of interesting what's happened. If you haven't heard the story, he, he had a, a contest. And he launched it in August of 2021 at an event held in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And it was the the Prove Mike Wrong Challenge. And what he did is he came out and he dared somebody to disprove the valid validity of this data that he had alleging Chinese interference in the 2020 election. Okay, so that, that's I've got this data, and I'll, I'll give I'll pay five million dollars to anybody who can prove me wrong. All right, prove that this isn't valid. So into this rolls a a guy who um, his name is Robert Zeidman, and and he he enters this. He says, "Well, look," he said, "I'm a," and here's the background. It's kind of interesting. He said, "He's he's a supporter of Donald Trump." And he hoped this data was valid. The guy has 45 years of experience in software development. And he enters this contest not to really prove Mike wrong, but to access the data and witness, quote, history in the making, perhaps to see an election overturned because he wants to believe him. He says, look, I'm going to I want to be part of this. So he, he goes into this. And what happens is, as he starts looking at this, he finds that. Well, each of the 11 files that Mr. Lindell provided that were going to document that there was Chinese interference in the election, that none of them were related to the 2020 election. So he says, look, this is this is this is it. They're not related to this. You know, this this data does not prove this. So he enters the contest. And what happens is a panel selected by Mike Lindell says he didn't win. <laughs> he didn't, no, no surprise, you, you didn't win. So what the guy does is he files a claim with this arbitration panel, which is apparently the procedure that you're supposed to use. In a 23-page decision the day before yesterday, the panel orders Lindell Management to pay Mr. Zeidman $5 million within 30 days. It follows a hearing held in Minneapolis in January. The panel considered the data provided to contestants under the scope of the contest. They found that each of the 11 files Mr. Lindell provided weren't related to the 2020 election. So in other words, this guy came forward and he proved him wrong. The panel said Lindell management breached its contract by failing to pay Mr. Zeidman $5 million. Lindell says his lawyers would challenge that panel's decision and reiterated his belief that the data comes from the 2020 elections. Um, He didn't prove anything. Those arbitrators made a horrible, terrible decision. Um, which, again, kind of mirrors a lot of the stuff that you hear from Trump. But, it's you know, I, I, I look at something like this, and I'm, I'm very glad that this happened. I think that 
a lot of the stuff that happened after the 2020 elections and a lot of the bogus claims that were being thrown around and were being repeated, I, I think at some point in time there needs to be some accountability for this. And I don't think the Rudy Giuliani's of the world or the Mike Lindell's of the world who decide that they want to go on television or they want to go into the Internet or whatever and they just want to start saying stuff, I, I think that there has to be some degree of accountability for it. And in this case, Lindell brought it on himself. He's the one that said, I'll pay $5 million dollars to anybody who can prove that you know can prove me wrong and here's the data and here you have a guy who said okay i'm i'm going to do this i'm not sure anybody else ever took him up on the challenge but here you have this statistician who said okay i'm going to take a look at this and he looks at all the files that were provided and he determines none of this has anything to do with the 2020 election give me my money and an arbitration panel says yeah give him his money again maybe mike lindell should have stuck to making pillows things he knows about instead of talking about Chinese interference in elections with data that does not support it. Will the guy ever collect a dime? I don't know. I don't know. But now this case is going to go to court as well. Lindell has all sorts of defamation claims against him and stuff. But this one, this is this is brought on by his own. He dared somebody to prove him wrong. Somebody proved him wrong. And now my answer would be pay up, Mr. MyPillow guy. It is an unsatisfying end to a horrible situation, but I think you can say that justice is done. This is that story. You remember when it happened last October? It was the, the, the pastor at Grace Lutheran Church who was driving downtown, had, had just dropped his daughter off, I believe, at school, and then, you know, he was heading over to the church, and what happened is he was he was in the, the intersection and there's this 23-year-old guy who comes driving along, runs through a red light, plows into his car, and, and kills him. Just, just a horrible story. The, the, the driver of the car was a 23-year-old man named Jose Silva. At the time of the collision, Silva was swerving across the center line and driving upwards of 75, 74 miles an hour. The speed limit in that area was like around 35 or something like that. Um, apparently, what happened is they looked at the car. Um, Silva took his foot off the accelerator at three and a half seconds before impact. His vehicle was still traveling approximately 74 miles an hour. He was applying the brakes a half second before com- colliding with the car, but he was still going 65 miles an hour. The speed limit is 30, so he hits the car. On top of that, it turns out that he had been drinking heavily. His blood alcohol level was found to be 0.193, which is two and a half times the legal limit. And uh, he was on his way to jury duty on top of all that. Anyhow, he ends up pleading guilty to homicide by use of a vehicle while intoxicated. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison. And it's the appropriate sentence. But the horrible thing about this is it doesn't bring this man back. And, and you can never, you can never make that family whole. And you just go back and you sit and you think, you wish people would use just a little bit better judgment. And, and maybe, maybe we wouldn't have as much of this stuff going on. So that's how the case wraps up. An 18 year sentence. So he's going to be in prison for a long time. He deserves to be in prison for a long time. But like I say, it, it doesn't bring 
Aaron Strong, the pastor at Grace Lutheran Church, doesn't bring him back, doesn't bring him back to his parishioners, doesn't bring him back to his family. It It's the best you can do. And I guess justice was done. But you hate to see stuff like this happen on a regular basis. One of our texters says, so the guy that hit and killed that pastor was going to jury duty drunk? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Pop Culture Corner is right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank talking text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And as we do every week, courtesy of our friends at Palermo's, we have a Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that fast three times. It is an exclusively given in the discretion of my producer, Charlie, to one of our callers, not one of the texters. Maybe we'll do that sometime, but now it's the caller. It, the prize package is coupon good for two Palermo's pizza, frozen pizzas, and this really cool pizza cutter and some other stuff as well, stickers and things like that, exclusively in the discretion of my producer, Charlie. Okay. So sometimes in Pop Culture Corner, we talk about food, sometimes movies, sometimes TV, sometimes sports, sometimes lots of times music and things like that. Uh, summer is coming. And, and I understand we all got a taste of that like last week, and now the, the weather is kind of reverting back to more normal stuff. But summer is coming. And with summer, people start to make travel plans. And, and I thought – for Pop Culture Corner today, and we do this maybe once or, or twice a year, I know that there are people who are planning trips during the summer. And I thought what we would do today is giving you an opportunity to talk about your favorite places. So here's the topic today. If you were going to recommend one place for people to go this summer for a vacation, where would that be? But there is there is an asterisk here. There is a caveat. It's got to be someplace that you can drive to, and it's got to be in the United States. So I don't want to talk about trips to Europe. I don't want to talk about trips to Asia. I, I want to talk about a place that you can drive to. So that means probably the continental United States, although, as my producer Charlie was saying when we were talking about this earlier, I mean, theoretically, you can drive to Alaska, I guess. So if you want to encourage somebody to go on a several-week road trip and you feel strongly about that, that's okay. A place that you would recommend somebody go to on vacation, you got to be able to drive to it. It's got to be in the continental United States. 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Help plan everybody else's summer vacation, a place that they just absolutely have to go, one of these places that everybody should see. Where should people go this summer in the United States, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say continental United States, but I'll also allow Alaska if you feel strongly about that, but that is an awful long drive. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, Pop Culture Corner this week. Okay, it's travel. In advance of the summer vacation season, you still have time to book it. 
where would you recommend somebody go? My caveat this week, you got to be able to drive there, and it's got to be in the continental United States or in Alaska, because I guess theoretically you could drive to Alaska, although it would be a really long drive. Let's talk to Glenn in Burlington. Glenn, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I would have to say Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. For one thing, you've got all those um, museums there yep. you can go to. Most of them are free. And then you're right at Gettysburg, too, which is just an amazing thing. Now, I've been there one time, but I would gladly go back again and hope to uh, in the near future. Yeah, Gettysburg is just an incredible place. And I would add one thing, Glenn. It's a perfect place in the summer. I always recommend when it comes to visiting battlefields, it's cool anytime. But, you know, Gettysburg, the the battle was fought, I think, 1863. It was late June, early July. You know, if you go to the battlefields at the time the battle was fought, you can really, I, I think it enhances your knowledge because you get, you can really get a, a feel for, gee, what must it have been like for those soldiers to, to be here in this kind of weather and stuff? And so I, I mean, early July, late June at Gettysburg, I don't think, I mean, I think it's just an incredible place to go. I agree. Yeah, Thank no, you. no, thanks for calling. I'm with you. And of course, Washington, D.C. I, in another life, I used to go to Washington, D.C. all the time. And it, it, it is, but, You've got all the different Smithsonian's that are there. You can, you know, visit the the Lincoln Memorial. You take a right turn and you go down, and you've got the Vietnam Veterans Wall. It's very cool. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's see. Uh, let's go to the text line. Jeff Fairbanks, Alaska, on June twenty first. See a midnight sun baseball game between the Anchorage Pilots and the Fairbanks Gold Panners. Drive up through Canada and drive is into Alaska. Is spectacular well i've been to fairbanks we did that uh that listener trip last year um jeff i know i'm crazy but i'm a winter vacation person get on a snowmobile and ride around the up um jeff beaches are lost on me national monuments are lost on me campsites are lost on me nothing better than new york city when it's 100 degrees out and all the tourists are in town Huh, well, that's interesting. Um, Jeff, everybody should see Monument Valley, Utah, once in their lifetime. It's located on the Navajo Indian Reservation. It has the ironic uh, buttes that everybody saw in the John Ford, John Wayne Western movies over the years. Um, yes, Monument Valley is tremendous. Steve says, Savannah, Georgia. Go there to watch the Savannah Bananas baseball team. Savannah, Georgia is just it is spectacular. It's the classic kind of like antebellum South. You know, you got to and and it's just it. it's I don't know. It's like stepping into a different period of time. I absolutely love Savannah. No question about it. Jeff, for me, it's Niagara Falls. I also love Washington, D.C. Yeah, um, one of one of my bucket list trips and my wife and I have talked about this. Um, she wants to see Niagara Falls. She's never been to Niagara Falls. I haven't been to Niagara Falls either, although people tell us that you, you should stay on the Canadian side of it. But what I've also wanted to do is I've never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and I'm a horse racing fan, and I've never been to the Saratoga racetrack. You know, Saratoga is one of the country's oldest racetracks, and they run late July through, like, Labor Day. And one of our bucket list trips that we're going to do sometime is – I'm not sure the order will do it, but maybe fly into Buffalo, go to Niagara Falls, go to Cooperstown, you know, catch the, the Saratoga racetracks as well. Um, loving that stuff. Let's talk to Paul. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. One of the places that I would love everybody to go to is you can drive to Cape Cod. It's like Door County's on steroids. Yep. The dunes, the water, 
you can take the ferries to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyards, and it's one of the best places for seafood, especially lobster dinners. And it's close enough to go enjoy the history and the charm of Boston. Yes. So to me, Cape Cod is just Door County on steroids. No, I think I that's, would highly recommend. Yeah, no, I think that's great. But you're, you're, um, and I, I have some some very dear friends who are like from that area and i they have a they have a place in that area and so they're back there from time to time and and yeah the, the seafood and stuff it just doesn't get a lot better than that let's talk uh let's see tony in wabano tony you're on wtmj hi hi um so i every year i i go out to yosemite and i go in the late summer fall when most of the kids are back at school and I've been hiking large sections of the Pacific Crest Trail through the spine of the Sierra Nevada, through the Ansel Adams Wilderness and all that. And it, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that, that, whole, that whole area is, I haven't, I haven't done that. Um, I've, done, I've done down like the Monterey Peninsula, you know, going down US-1 and stuff. And that's, that's spectacular right. as well, that, the highways. You, you get spectacular views. No, there's no question about it. Um, you know, it's it's funny. A couple friends of mine were just Key West is one of my happy places, and a couple friends of mine just got back from Key West last night, and and they had normally normally when I go to Key West, I either fly into Key West. It's not the easiest place to fly into, or there's a there's a shuttle you you can take um, that leaves from Fort Myers or Marco Island and takes about three hours and it drops you off at Key West. That's how I typically go. But, but they drove over the, the big bridge and stuff. And you got some, you've got some spectacular views. There's no question about that. Let's talk to Craig and Horicon. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I hope you have a great weekend coming up. You as up. well, sir. I'm thinking the perfect weekend or week trip whether you have kids or if it's just the husband and wife uh, heading out, head down to just south of St. Louis. You've got the amusement park uh, within a you know seven-hour mm-hmm. drive, so you can stop for the night, go to the amusement park. Next day, go uh, another six hours, stop and, uh, and uh, check out the uh, uh, Memphis or the uh, Southern uh, Missouri music shows. Right. See the, the arch. Next day, you can go to right. Mer- so see the see, yeah. get to St. Louis, see the arch. No, no, no. Thanks for calling. I mean, and it it is it's one of these things that's that's very accessible. And St. Louis is a very fun town. Great ideas. Okay, let's talk to Tony in Fond du Lac. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Hi. We're going out to Oregon this year for seeing the Great Falls waterfalls and the beautiful. Um, forests out there, the forest country, mountain country, like the Sequoia Forest, and we want to drop down just across the border to see the Redwood Forest. Oh, cool. You know, I haven't been, I the last time I was in Oregon was when I was in college, so it was a long, long time ago, and I can remember, like I can remember being in Portland, and we were at an event that was at Lewis and Clark uh, College in Portland, Oregon, and so I remember that, so I, I haven't been back there since then, but I, I'm sure that, that that whole area is is just absolutely spectacular as far as views. Yeah, we got uh, definitely want to hit the Silver Falls State Park. Many mm-hmm. waterfalls they have there. We just love them. Very cool, uh, Tony. You have obviously uh, tickled the fancy of my producer Charlie because you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package for uh, today. So enjoy a couple uh, enjoy a couple pizzas over the weekend on us. Okay. 
Sounds great. Thank you. you thank Charlie. You betcha. Thank, yeah, thank Charlie. Um, of course, Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. A number of people are mentioning Gulf Shores, Alabama. Yeah, my uh, dear friend Colleen owns a condo in Gulf Shores, and um, that that is on our list. I have... I have been to the area, but uh, I've got a place to stay now. So that's it. Um, you know, that's it. Uh, check that out. Um, let's see. A couple people are mentioning Maine. Yeah, I am um, one of my very dear friends, my buddy Doug. He went to college at Bowdoin College in, in Maine, and it's just absolutely spectacular out there. I almost went to Bowdoin, ended up going somewhere else. But uh, Maine, especially in the summer, that is absolutely the place that you end up wanting to go. 855-616-1620. Where do you choose to go? Jeff, my husband took me on a long weekend to Sausalito and then the other half in Carmel-by-the-Sea. Uh, there's no question about it. That's just Absolutely tremendous. Jeff, for me, it's the Outer Banks in uh, North Carolina. Our family vacation the last nine years and counting. Love the beach house. Yeah, the um, it's interesting that people mention this because my very close friend, his son, when his son is in the country, um, hangs out at, at, at the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And I know my friend Jenny loves going there. Jeff, for me, it's New Orleans. The National World War II Museum is outstanding, not to mention the food and the nightlife. It has been a number of years since I've hung out in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of uh, – New Orleans is like Key West on steroids, to borrow the um, – <laughs> to, to, to borrow the phrase. Jeff, for me, let's keep it in Wisconsin. Hayward, Wisconsin, the fishing and the shopping. Well, I got that. Jeff, this is another thing. This is on my bucket list. Somebody says, I want to do the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky, stay in Bardstown in the center of it all. I would love, 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 love to do that. Um, I've driven, you know, when, when we've driven from Milwaukee to, you know, our place in Florida, you, you go through Kentucky and you see all these different stops that are on kind of like the, the Bourbon Trail and all. I, I've as somebody who likes his bourbon from time to time, I would love to visit some of those distilleries, and I've never, I've, I've never done that. Um, Jeff, best spot to vacation that you can drive to is Nashville or Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge in Tennessee. It is beautiful, um, an easy drive, and there is literally something for everyone. It's one of my favorites. We do it every year when we can. Yeah, when we drive down to Florida, we, we go through Nashville. Um, but I, I have, I've never spent any length of time there. That's another one that's kind of on my bucket list. She says, we've got to stop and we got to go through, uh, Nashville. Let's talk to, let's see, John. Uh, John, you're on WTMJ. Well, good afternoon. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Where, where would you recommend people go? It's kind of off the beaten track, but it's amazing. It's called the Great Sand Dunes National Park. Which is where for people who don't know? This is in Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's on the it's on the west side of the San Juan de Cristo Mountains, north of Pueblo. You got to drive quite a ways to get there, but it's got these. Uh, it's it's better than advertised. It's got these six hundred and eight hundred foot high sand dunes that you can climb up and slide down. It's just an amazing place. That sounds out in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's okay. That's that's that. Sometimes those are the, those remote places are the best. Okay, I'm out of time. Got to turn it over to Wisconsin's afternoon news. But I wanted to give some people some ideas as to you start thinking about where are we going to go that this summer and lots and lots of great places that are out there. Cross stuff off your bucket list or go back to some of your favorites. 
Thanks for participating in this week's Pop Culture Corner. Stay tuned next week for another pop culture topic.